Hey friends, I'm so keen in this episode, I won't hold you up for more than a second. It's Tom McLean, how good is that? If you know him, then you know and you're nodding right now and if you don't, then you're about to know. He's a comedian and about 10 other things, but before that, we have an awesome show coming up. It's with Geordie Lane of world-conquering Melbourne urban folk music fame and I'm talking to him live at Melbourne Folk Club at Bell Union on March 11th. So go online and get tickets now because I'm told it's going to sell out. Alright, enjoy the show. H is a, a little wolf or a fox playing a harp, mm-hmm. accompanied by a goose on the fiddle. K is a mole dressed up as a pastry chef. Do you know what those things are called with the cream in the middle? It's profiteroles. Pretty good. Maybe. I didn't know that. K for profiterol. Welcome to Wait Long by the River. Uh, Butterworth's concise Australian legal dictionary defines Wait Long by the River as a podcast in which we talk to Melbourne's greatest creative minds and they explain to us how they make a life around having a thing that gets in the way of making a living. And today I have with me comedian and other things, Guy Tom McLean. Hello. Hey. Hey. Uh, That's nice. Greatest creative minds. Yeah, that's right. Exciting. So I said comedian and other things because you have lots of other stuff going on. Yes, I'm a man of many projects. Yeah. I do board games and video games and writing and... Being a comedian in Melbourne, is it like the best possible place to be a comedian or like a terrifying giant fish pond in which you're a tiny minnow and you get eaten by big names? Um, I haven't actually been a comedian many other places. I've done like spots here and there, but... Melbourne's the only scene that I really have been active in. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard from other comics who are in other scenes, it's pretty bloody good. Uh, like, it's not a scene that's entirely without drama. Like, it's not like everyone's best mates or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really nice scene and a lot of the comics that you'll find will be very supportive and there's a lot of rooms that are, like, really eager to, like, put new talent up and, and you know, give chances to people that don't necessarily have their own sort of pull. Yeah, it's it's not really one that will immediately springboard you into international fame, I think. But is there one? Because like, uh, you should probably just Chicago go there. Chicago, maybe. Really, with like the improv scene and, and yeah, I feel like mm. Chicago and LA have. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. I, I feel like just from being in America and close to where a lot of things are happening. Mm-hmm. Like here, if you know sort of the right people, you'll get jobs writing for like Australian TV shows and, and radio stuff. Which is, like, that's great. Yeah. Um, but if you know the right people in LA, then you'll get a job writing for, you know, uh, Parks and Recreation or something. Oh, and that's a, a bigger sort of <laughs> opportunity than writing for the project. Like, no offense to the project, but you're going to have more cred coming yeah. off a, a critically acclaimed sitcom rather than uh, <laughs> whatever a, the project uh, is. Use <laughs> panels, yeah. synchronous, Gen yeah. Y, yeah. You, I see your name on the bill with some other people semi-regularly. Does that mean that you have like your own little sub scene? Does that, does that happen in comedy? Like yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a little bit clicky. Yeah. Um, just because the sort of way to get a spot at most rooms is to be friends with the person who runs the room on Facebook and send them a message. Like you don't need mm. to like hang out with them to warrant a room, yeah. but so it's not uh, like dealers where you like, yeah. you go oh, around hey, and they're like, hey, why don't you just stay for a bit and like, mm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like that. Like you just, you meet the person who runs the room and you say, hey, can I get a spot sometime? And they'll be like, sure, I'll be on Facebook. Send me a message. Ah, cool. But that gives them a great deal of power. Yeah. And it does always feel a little bit beggy mm. where you're just like, hey, can I have a room for a spot in there, please? Yeah. And so it's just, there's less threshold to that with people that you are actually mates with. Yeah, you can just say, hey, man, you haven't given me a spot in ages, rather than, yeah. hey, I was kind of wondering if you yeah, could exactly. please hook me up with it. Yeah. Mm. So, who's your node in that group of... Because, like, what are some other names of the people that I see you around? You, Tom McLean. Mm-hmm. Tom Lang. Yep. The new great Harrison Engstrom you were just talking to me about for oh, the yeah, show. Oh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. Who, else is in, like, who else is in that little Milky Way of yours? Oh, man. So, <laughs> you're asking me to put boundaries around my click. No, you don't I have suppose. to. I, just, I was just looking for some names because then I was going to say who's who among them run nights. And how to, I'm interested in that node structure. That All right. Is- so, the people who sort of run nights. So, Ben Vanell runs 
the open mic at the Imperial, which is on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And that new one comedy. is huge for new comedy. And he's probably the first sort of the hub point that a sort of aspiring in comedian, aspiring comedian in Melbourne mm-hmm. would meet just because he runs that one. And then through him, you'll meet other people like yeah. Carl Chandler's probably the next one who runs Spleen mm-hmm. and he... Of Little Dundum Club. As yes, far as Little Dundum Club. Um, he runs a couple of other rooms and Spleen is like the sort of gateway room where he won't put you on at the other rooms until he's seen you at Spleen. Isn't that funny? Um, because like going to Spleen when I first got to Melbourne, I really thought felt like it was like the, the underground hero spot because I saw like a couple of really big names just that first time that I went there. Yeah. Well, that's like he doesn't it's not sort of open call every night. He, mm. It's just there's, you know, like he'll 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 structure it so that there's like here's one person who mm. he doesn't really know surrounded by four people that he's knows reliably are, are good. And then a couple yeah. like big pools. So it's layered totally different like how a music gig works where you start with someone who's a complete unknown and you just build and build and build. Yeah, Unless no, you don't really want to do that because um, if somebody's... Because I used to run a room uh, myself last year. I ran mm-hmm. Hotspot. And so I learned a little bit about putting a night together. Mm-hmm. And it is a sort of thing of you want your like newer sort of unproven comedians to be sort of cushioned within people who are sort who of more reliable. S- who can build the, the laughs. Yeah, because you, know? you want your new comics to... Like, you, you want your audience to be laughing at every comic throughout the night. And so you want your new comics to come on to a warmed up crowd that's full of energy. And so you want a good comic on before Mm. them. Not that new comics are necessarily bad, but like you want somebody who can reliably get the room, you know, riled up and ready to laugh. And then you bring the new person on to do their thing. And hopefully it goes great. And often it does. Um, But if they do like not do very well, you will have the next person on who, you know, you can turn that around yeah. And so it's just like a lull within the evening rather than if you have a couple of people on in a row who bomb, yeah. then it can just destroy the energy of the room. And then like you can have even some big names on afterwards who have been doing it for years and years and are really funny and they'll still struggle to turn it around. Is that when you get that great yeah. dramatic, like like you Billy Hicks losing his shit kind of moment where he comes out and is like, screw you all. You're yeah. all a bunch of waste of time. And, <laughs> like what is that meltdown when people, why do they do that? Oh, some people I think just take it really personally like mm. sometimes i mean uh, the other day i was in a, a bad mood and i'd just been sick and i had a gig uh that night and i was like this could really go either way like i'm not gonna have a meltdown or anything yeah. but i was like if i have a good gig tonight i'm just gonna feel so much better like mm-hmm. uh just it's like um, i've had this rough day and like a good gig will really turn it around yeah and you know like that gig did end up going really well and i was really happy about it mm-hmm. but y- you can sort of see when like People are coming up to a gig like that. They're like, oh, I feel like garbage. Is it better be good? Yeah, right? I see. And then, you know, then they'll have like three comics on before them who bomb for whatever reason. And then they're like, oh, you know, fuck this. Right. And like, you know, <laughs> screw this audience. Screw the comics on before me. Yep. Screw this whole room. I'm not even interested. And then your people with less of a filter will just say that to them on the stage nice. instead of instead of doing their comedy like a professional. So, as a guy who comes out with like a couple of six shooters full of... Because you're like a jokes guy, right? Yeah. Yes. Are you sick of being pigeonholed like that? No, I mean, I'll pigeonhole myself like that. Yeah, great. I'm, I'm a jokes comic. Nice. I've got it away. on. I have it on recording now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just actually, this podcast is going to be an hour of that repeating. <laughs> that, hi, I'm Tom McLean. And that. oh, that's really postmodern. I'm just, yeah, yeah. Make it an hour and a half. Uh, so you come out with your six shooters full of jokes. And does that mean that there's like, you're less worried about going out there and, and starting a stream of consciousness that ends with you alienating the crowd and upsetting everybody and babies crying and people yeah i mean i've certainly done material that has alienated the crowd but deliberately like a joke no (laughs) accidentally i had a i had a bit that the punchline was uh, about uh the foxconn iphone factory in in china where they put up a net to stop people committing suicide and uh in my head when i wrote that joke i was like Wow, that's really funny because it's like the, not like the, not the premise is really funny, but the the disconnect, but like the oh man, the bit was about Uber and how yep. the CEO had like this big kerfuffle around him a little while ago because he was a huge misogynist, mm-hmm. and there was like a sort of protest about it from people like posting up things of like I can't support Uber, this is horrible. I'm uninstalling Uber from my iPhone <laughs> out of protest, <laughs> and so the punchline was they're uninstalling Uber. From their iPhone, a device made by slaves. And that, like, 
you can see where I, I, that's, that's right up my alley. I'd be all for it. But yeah, I just got up at this comedy room and I threw this joke out into the audience and I didn't think they were kind of prepared for it. And I finished with that line about how they had the net up to stop them committing suicide. And where when I was writing the joke, I was like, and pause for laughter. Instead, oh. there was dead silence. And then one woman in the room about a couple of rows back just going, oh. <laughs> That's a bad sign. A, if you can hear the oh, and yeah. B, if there was an oh. Uh, but that was, I don't know, I got, it was such a strong reaction, even though it wasn't necessarily a hilarious reaction. I came off stage and there were a couple of other comics behind, just with huge grins on their faces, being yeah. like, that was incredible what you just did. Even though it wasn't funny, it was funny for them, I suppose, to see somebody die in such a sort of <laughs> morally heavy-handed way yeah like you went out you went out in a place of glory it wasn't yeah. like you went up there and joke didn't work it's just that it worked the wrong way and, yeah and alienated well so that you can use that at your android conference when you get a geek there you can open with that and yeah. all the windows phone enthusiasts will be like Woo, yeah because <laughs> we all know all the uh, non-iphones are made in 100 percent ethical They're, aren't they all actually just made of foxconn anyway yeah pretty much there's a new company making a thing called the Fairphone, which is they've done like a bunch of research about Mm. where all their components are coming from and the working conditions that they're made under um, and making sure that it's like sustainable and non-slavery horrible, you know, practices uh, at every step of the chain. Um, and that looks really cool. And, and my next phone will be... $10,000. They're not actually that much expensive. They're like 300 euros, which is, you know, like that's just on par with a a good phone. There was like a study that turned out it's only like 40 bucks more expensive on average. But it's the size of a credit phone. card. It's only room for one icon. Uh, but the the, uh, the downside of it at the moment is uh, they're only doing really short print runs uh, mm-hmm. or manufacturing runs and they're only available in Europe. What if it only uh, works in European? Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're Android, so you can still hack the oh, firmware sweet. out and put a thing. It's just, yeah, it's all the hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel comfortable hacking things because you also have programming I do. Magic. Yes. I've been a professional programmer as my day job for like too many years now. Nearly like eight, nine years maybe. Does that is that partly why you're a jokes comic? Because your brain works in such a way that you, you set something up, like you build it rather yeah. than just going out there and like Yeah, that makes sense actually. That's it's a very sort of analytical process of like, mm. well, here's the setup and here's how I make the punchline. Yeah. Based on that setup. I think that's accurate. You could be like an if-then comedian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you've like you've done a couple of podcasts, right? Oh yeah, I just started my my new project yesterday. Mm-hmm. The first episode went up. It's What's called, the vibe? It's called Two Wizards. It's uh, is this a scoop? Yeah. Have you talked is, about this, this with anyone else? This is I've not even tweeted about it. This, okay, so this is the official launch of Two Wizards. Well, depending You're hearing it first when this comes out. You're hearing it first in like a week and a half from now. Yeah, I'll probably have tweeted about it by yeah, then. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's the new project that I'm working on called Two mm-hmm. Wizards, uh, which is a sort of improv comedy podcast that yep. is done entirely in character as a wizard called Michael Storm, yep. who has done a deal with the demon to just speak into a portal once a month for 20 minutes about whatever's going on. Yeah. And the idea is just to get uh, comedy pals in to bullshit about pretending to be wizards for 20 minutes. What's the What's the other side of the deal with the demon? What does the demon get out of it? Oh, the, no, the demon uh, gets the portal. The demon eats voices. And ah. So he just wants to hear the sound of voices. I see. Uh, and the other side of the deal is Michael gets uh, magical powers, which he didn't already have. No, kind of. It's set in a world where every wizard has an ongoing deal with a demon, mm-hmm. and they get magical powers in exchange for uh, any range of things. And mm. so, uh, presumably, he had magical powers before, but he was just subject to a different deal with a different demon mm-hmm. that ran out for whatever reason, and then yeah. the new deal. Is the podcast. Right. So, does that mean you have to workshop with each of your guests what what deal they've struck? Yes. So, the first... We did, like, a sort of pilot episode with uh, my comedy friend and housemate, Tom Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live in a Tom house? I do. Are there any other Toms? Uh, there's a Tom cat. Oh, very good. Hey. Yeah, you got a new cat. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I did a sort of pilot, let's see if this format works episode uh, mm-hmm. with Lang that was just sitting down and riffing right off the cuff. And it was fun, but there was a lot of, anyway, um, so scenic cool. Yeah. And so, uh, we figured it's probably going to be better if, even though we sort of improvised the the whole, the main thrust of it, we'll sit down beforehand and figure out like, what's your name? What's my name? Mm -hmm. What's like five things that we want to talk about? Character building, the best part of any RPG. 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the name coming up with as well. We've got like just a list of crazy wizard names that's blue tacked to the side of the computer as we're recording, so that mm. instead of being like, "Oh, I was talking to my friend uh, Elderin," the yeah, other day, you, you have a giant there's a list, it. and it's just like whenever you need a name, you just glance over at the list and grab one. Huh. And it allows you to sort of build a fantasy world quite quickly, but it's yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun. Are they uh, are they references? Is it like Bukowski the irascible and weights the gra- the gravelly and stuff? Uh, we tried to like we I think we only ended up using like three names in the mm-hmm. first episode that we did out of the fourteen or so that we had on the list. Yep. And we tried to get just a range of like, you know, there was one on there that was just called Bleb, and that was <laughs> done. <laughs> that was yep. his name. Uh, I think one that we did use was Magic Judy. So like mm. dumb names, but then there's also like his character's name is Griff the Ineffable. Yep. And so sort of some more wizardly names, some that are references, some that are just funny sounds. I swear he introduced himself as Griff the Inevitable, which I just think is well. I, I mean, would prefer personally. As but, written, his name was yep. Grib the Ineffable, in- Ineffable, and hmm. he improved it. I, guess. I think I'd want Nabokov the Interminable, just because yeah. I've never made it to the end of. Any of Nabokov's books. Sounds it's good. on my mind because we're in a library. Other we people are, can't see that at home, but this is there. There's two bookshelves, and they're sorted by color. So to your left is the cool colors, and oh, yeah. behind me is the warm colors. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. That's really pretty. Yeah, I come in here sometimes and just, you know, that Tumblr that's like things that fit perfectly inside other things. Yes. Yeah, it's like that except with books. It's uh, things fitting perfectly into things, I believe, because on their one year anniversary they made a post. Uh, that was like, here's a meta thing perfectly fitting into another thing. Uh, the username things fitting perfectly into things is the exact length of the Tumblr maximum username. Oh, really? Yep. Did they know that when they put it in? Maybe. Oh, that's so great. It's really it's really pleasing there. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of pleasingly perfect design, mm. I'm really curious because when I was introduced to you, I was introduced to, to you as, hey, this is Tom. He made a board game that went crazy and successful. Yeah. Yeah. I did that one time. I made a board game called Story War. Yeah. Uh, with my friend Brad O'Farrell. And we did a Kickstarter for it and it raised a whole bunch of money. Like more we... than you expected? Yeah, quite a lot more. <laughs> uh, we needed $20,000 to sort of fund the first print run. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us had pretty good online followings and a lot of favors to pull. So we were yeah. pretty confident that we could hit, like, we were very confident that we could hit the $20,000 and we were pretty confident that we could hit $100,000. So you set the stretch goals that far and then, and then sort of petered out or did you? Um, we came up with some more ones as the thing, uh, kept running because, uh, yeah, like, as you can probably tell, we did better than that. We ended up raising $363,000 by the end of the month, which was pretty crazy. Yeah. And, uh, does it get, is that the point where like even your parents are like, Look, we were going to chip in at the end in case you got stuck, but really you don't need our money. In fact, can you please pay back some of the thousands of yeah, dollars you owe us? there was a couple. That, like, I, the, my boss at my day job at the time uh, contributed really early on. He, he sent in $500. Oh, good for him. And, like, I know. It was fantastic. Nice guy. Guy. Yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was like, man, that's like, it's such a lovely gesture. And sort of in the scope of things, I was like, I wish that that's like Kickstarter- three <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. Process-wise, did you had you always been coming up with board games, and then you're like, "Hey, this one that we've come up with has legs," or did you think, "Let's make a board game that we can print and make a living out of"? Ah, uh, halfway between the two, really. So, uh, Brad and I have been friends for many, many years, and both of us have a sort of history in game design. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of the nature of our friendship was just throwing around video game ideas back and forth cool. for years and years and years. And then uh, he's an American. Uh, and I was visiting him in New York. Wait, how are you friends with the guy who lives on the other side of the world? Oh, he's Magic the of the internet? internet. Cool. Yeah. Um, Did you meet on like a, a chat room about... Oh, we met on YouTube back in the... I used to do video Whoa. blogs. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Should so, we look them up or are they like hilariously out there? No, now never, never. Are you that guy who put his head under the pillow and cried about Britney Spears? Uh, that was Chris Crocker. Oh, there we go. And I didn't know him. Okay. But uh, do, that was sort of around the time that I was active. So Brad and I, friends for many years, sending mm-hmm. video game ideas back and forth. Yeah. And then I was visiting him one time in uh, New York and he was telling me about this latest idea that he had. And I've been playing board games sort of like for ages since high school. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, that actually, that idea reminds me a lot of Race for the Galaxy, which is a board game. Mm-hmm. And he was like, board games, hmm? hmm? So we went to this board game store and I bought him Race for the Galaxy and we played that. Yeah. And then 
from basically the next day, he was just like, so I got this board game idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went back and forth with board game ideas based on that for about a year. Yeah. That's- like you went back home to Australia. I went back home to Australia and then yeah. we were emailing, yeah, like just chatting board game ideas. And we sort of came up with a bunch of different board game ideas that sort of circled this core point mm-hmm. of uh, like sort of getting closer and closer to us uh, really liking the fact that board games can do stuff that video games can't by being really like reliant on human interactions rather than uh, mechanical ones. Mm-hmm. Like uh, a computer game is always bound by, you know, like this weapon is going to do this much damage mm-hmm. sort of thing. There's no space for, you know, how do you feel about how much damage the weapon does? Yeah. Uh, or how much can you convince somebody how much damage that does? Yeah. Which would be the tiny kid mechanic where you're like, nah, a bow totally beats a machine gun because it's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that sort of social side of things that is in like, yeah, some other really great board games mm-hmm. like Resistance and uh, Battlestar Galactica that mm-hmm. I was telling you before off mic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we, we were sort of getting closer and closer to that. And we eventually came up with Story War, which is just sort of my imaginary character can beat up your imaginary character, but with enough of a sort of veneer of structure over it that people are still friends at the end. Oh, great. Okay. So, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, dispute resolution involved. Yes. And so uh, we just sort of honed that for another 10 months or so. And then... Oh, so you put a lot of work into it. it. Oh, yeah. We put tons of work into it. By the time the Kickstarter launched, we'd had like over 100 or something playtests. Wow. Just really trying to nail it. Because we were like, this is a fairly obvious idea. Mm-hmm. Like it's apples to apples or cards against humanity, but about battles instead of jokes and setups. And cards against humanity gave you a pull quote that was like better than cards against humanity. Yeah, which they, is that's pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, Max Temkin, the guy who created cards against humanity, uh, ran into us. Uh, we had a little demo booth that was just like one table with a print and play version of the game. Nice at on, a, at, a board at, uh, at Pax East. Cool. Uh, the year before the Kickstarter went up, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been uh, it doesn't matter. Um, Two thousand eleven. Two thousand. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and Max saw the game and he's like, oh, this is fantastic. And he's just, yeah, he's really helped us out. He like gave us a couple promos and stuff and yeah, the pull quote. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Mm. Yeah, you, we, is there a Cards Against Humanity reference? Because it's a, there's a whole bunch of cards that you use as the basis of how the game mechanic works. Is there like a Cards Against Humanity referencing? I'm not sure. I don't think there is. Their, their usual MO is to only really do very accessible pop culture mm. references when they oh, do I mean ones. in your game. Oh, in our game? Yeah. Uh, no, just on the box. Okay, good yeah. call. Because uh, we are 100% G-rated. Ah. Yeah, because we did it. We, we originally had like, because it's a game of fantasy monsters fighting each other. Yeah. And in the original draft, we basically just grabbed all the monsters from the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. Which is, like, I, I can pick up the monster manual and flick through it and just get lost in my imagination anyway. Yeah. Like, I oh, really dig flicking through that. There's some fantastic monsters in there, but there's like, so there's thought. some, it turns out that the game really needs things to be super, super accessible. Like if a, if a monster comes down and half of the people at the table are just like, what is that? Oh, then no. it really kills that round. And so like in the original draft, we had stuff like the Otiag in there, mm-hmm. um, which was cut very early on, but we also had the succubus in there, which everyone would get. Yeah, which oh, everyone gets. Back to G-rated. But I get it. we, like, yeah, sometime into it, we were like, look, we have, like, two cards in there, which is, like, one was, like, an alcoholic thing in the items mm-hmm. thing and had, like, a drug reference in it. And yep. there was the succubus who just always made the game about, like, well, she seduces you, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And we were like, look, we just need to take out these two cards, put in any other card. It's not going to take... It's not going to be anywhere near a big hit to the quality of the overall game. Yeah. And it just means that we can advertise it as something that any Ages kid can... five to 55. Yeah. And yeah. that's totally happened. Like, it, uh, we've played it at conferences with, like, kids as young as, like, seven or eight. Cool. And, and they get it. And like, Yeah. They're... Oh, they're amazing at it. They, like, dominate it. Really? Oh, yeah. Because they've got, like, the, they're less bound by sort of, like, the whole rule of the game is if you can convince the other players that it makes sense, then mm. it happens. So cool. Uh, yeah, like turns out that kids are really great at justifying why these things had happened. We've had reports of like teachers using it in schools. No way. Even, like because it's oh, all you get it onto the curriculum. That's a sweet oh, way to yeah. earn some cash. That's oh hopefully my God. maybe one day we'll get it on a school book list or something. That would cool. be amazing. But yeah, it's just it's it's all like storytelling and creative writing coupled with dispute resolution in a safe and friendly setting, and wow. a lot of. Teachers have been like, that is a really good thing to have for kids. And so, yeah, like hmm. we've, we absolutely keep it 
G-rated so that it can still be used for that, but it can also be used to fuel uh, hilarity when you're drunk or other, you know, influences. And, yeah, and if yeah. you want that stuff to creep into the game, it's going to happen. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and like, It's not like game- you can't find a way to make Pikachu suggestive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the game comes with a bunch of blank cards as well that you can just fill out yourself. So and much power. people have put, like, Sexpo on there as one of, like, the <laughs> battlefield locations. And- huh, nice. Yeah. Are you, would you ever be tempted to release, like, a After Dark I, story yes. war? <laughs> You've already half-drafted in your head, haven't you? I have. Basically, every card that got cut, I just, instead of, <laughs> on the on the content system that we use, instead yeah. of deleting it, I just moved it to the After Dark nice. uh, set, which, honestly, will probably never see the light of day, but... What do you call it in your head? Does it have a name? Um, I think it was just called Story War Volume X. Uh, Something like that. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, as it... Because flicking... Like, it's definitely worth, if anybody's curious, actually going to the, the Kickstarter page and flicking through... Because you can see the, the progress as the as the funds come in, as you guys yeah, yeah. are like, we have all these great ideas and we're going to expand it this way and then we're going to expand it this way. And then like the absolute incredulity as you break through 200 grand and 250 grand. and mm. Or at least it comes across as absolute incredulity. You guys might have been sitting there going, good, yeah. good. We kind of, because like, like I said, we were pretty confident that we'd, we could hit 100,000. And yeah. so when we hit our funding goal, we were like, oh my God, guys, we made $20,000. Yeah, Amazing, oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Mm. And we were like, we were really chuffed. It's to exciting regardless. Yeah. Um, but we were like, oh, we can do this. And then once we'd broken 100,000, we were like, oh, it's still going. Oh, my God, okay. it's not... So- we're going to hit two. <gasps> oh, yeah. And yeah. so, it, it became more and more sort of real genuine astonishment at how well it was doing. Was that a life moment where you actually do that 80s film thing where you, like, jump around and go, ah, and, like, wave your hands in the air? Or are you, are you a performative kind of person like that? <laughs> or do you just sit there with your face, like, pressed into your hand? Being like, I, te- oh I tend to keep my reactions more subdued. Oh, very good. I, I like to do little jumps yeah. and maybe little screams, but never at the same time. Okay, I yeah. see. I'll jump and then scream mm, once I finish good. jumping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you'd probably be into that. What is it? ASDL, the the whispering online with the oh, ASMR. ASMR. Hell yeah. yes, I'm into That's ASMR. That's your thing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Are you one of the ten percent of the world who get the the feeling out of the? Is uh, that a private question to ask? I feel like it's. I don't know. We're already here. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I don't think i am i think mm. like one video i was like oh maybe that was it but i don't think so i think i, I more just am happy that it exists it's a wonderful idea isn't it mm. so for people who don't know what's going on asmr is a a type of online phenomenon in which yeah people kind are of really so the, quiet and yeah asmr is the the acronym itself it's like uh, automatic motor sensory reflex, something like that. Yeah. And it describes sort of the chill that you get up your spine and that like tingling feeling in your head that uh, accompanies it that can be fairly reliably triggered for some people by just soft talking and little relaxing sounds. Like I've seen a video where a woman just like sort of um, plucks the prongs of a, a comb. Oh, a little punk. Bong, 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 like that and people like crinkling paper and always just speaking very gently i'm oh, like brushing their hair into the mic yeah maybe? brushing their hair into the mic is a big one wow and uh yeah the 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 people who it works for tend to get super super into it and so these videos become really like popular and like the the there's one that has like three million views on it or something that's, that's some just serious cash. whispering you can the actually, microphone you can make money doing that yeah Hmm. I don't think I'd be very good at it. I'm not naturally quiet. I'm not naturally super quiet, but I feel like I can. You could pull it off if there was some. Pull off a relaxing tone of voice. Hmm. I can speak quietly if I need to. Yeah. Do you do quiet comedy? Do you do? Do you go up and like do that small target, like look at your feet kind of thing? I do sometimes hmm. i got some jokes where it requires me to be a bit more brash or ridiculous or over the top mm-hmm. about it and i've got some that are just yeah they work better mumbled and mm-hmm. sort of yeah i flit around a lot depending on the joke i'm just i just want to know how to write a good joke because you write stuff that's you're on the way to the gig and you're like aha i could write a joke about this yeah and that's topical yes yeah but can you do that reliably like could you be put in a room with like a banana and a ceiling fan and they'd be like, you have 10 minutes. Make a joke about being locked in a room with a... Yeah, I feel like I'm like, that's... And I feel like part of that is like, I really want to write that joke now, but that might take longer than 
We have, but I, I have like, especially when writing with other comics, I find myself in that situation a lot of like, well, here's this situation. We need to put a joke in to this spot. And I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at, at that, at coming up with a, a good punchline based on a setup. Did um, you write the, the sassy little italic bits on the bottom of the story war cards? I did. I wrote most of those. Because there are some guffaw worthy moments there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty pun heavy. And, is there yeah. a special word for that? Is that like alt text or something? Uh, I imagine there's flavor text for on everything. cards usually. Flavor text, of yep. course. Of course. Of flavor course. Text. Flavor text. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just imagine that that's one of those areas of life where there's a word for every tiny thing. Like with books where the left page is called the verso and the one on the right is called the folio. Is it's it? like, why would there be a word for that's that? That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's that's really That's new great. knowledge to me and I'm really happy. Yep. Oh, I learned a great one the other day. The smell... That, like, Play-Doh smell when it rains all of a sudden? No. Um, you know when, like, it, it's really hot and it's going to rain and then the first couple of giant drops of rain come and then you get that really, like, that musty smell that, like, goes through the air and oh, you're yeah. like, oh, the smell of rain. Mm. That's apparently, they do all these tests and it's apparently like a fungus that grows in the ocean and then that's the smell of the leftover fungus that goes up into the clouds and then comes down in the first oh, few drops no of rain. Way. And it's called, oh, I wish I could remember the word now. It's like Ponticore. Or Pantacore or something. Oh, wow. I know that the people who taught me that are going to be listening to this and being like, remember the word! And shaking their laptops, <laughs> but no. It's Pontifex. Yeah, it's Pontifex. That's not. That's the Pope. Yeah, and Pontifex was... Really? Yeah. Of course it is. Oh, man, that's creepy. That was the name of my the magazine in my school. No way. Yeah. Was it a Catholic school? It was an Anglican school. Huh. Maybe they're really like, weird. we don't need a physical Pope. We've got this magazine. Yeah. Uh, did you go to a... Were you, are you religious? You I used religious? to be religious. Yeah. I was. Much? Uh, quite. Super? Is that yeah. why you have this like innocent glow about you? Maybe. Cool. I kept it. Yeah. I lost the faith, but I kept the glow. What What kind? What denomination? Yeah, I was a Baptist, I guess. No way. Yeah. I converted- Is that why you had friends in the US? Is that what your YouTube series was about? No. Oh, okay. No, that was just afterwards, I think. I, uh, yeah, and no, I converted to Christianity in high school. And then I converted you back. You converted yourself? Yeah. Why? Like, raised by atheists. And, really? Yeah, like hardcore atheists? Like your parents are scientists or something? Uh, no, they just don't believe in God. Yeah, fair enough. And they're sort of generally hostile to the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, not like, uh, Christians are idiots or anything, but just like... Yeah, my mom identifies as atheist and my dad's just like, nah, that's not for me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I just sort of fell in with the wrong crowd in high school and yeah. converted to Christianity and then... Was it a girl? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was kind of a girl. It was... Like, oh, that sounds weird. Um, that- <laughs> <laughs> not she was kind of a girl. She was definitely a girl, yeah. but the motivation uh, was kind it of It was just... Her. Yeah, I started dating this girl and then... Uh, became friends with most of her social circle and mm. then there was just like oh we go to youth group on thursday nights and it was like, and you're like well i'm happy to ignore this like christian side of it because most of the youth group is hanging out with like my girlfriend and like now nine of my other friends and playing which, table tennis yeah be? just like hanging out cool and so uh, eventually it was like well i guess i have been going to church for a while and you know the 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 little christianity messages that they put at the beginning of the thing mm. filtered it enough that i was like i'm a christian now Wow, cool. And, and did you sort of come out to your parents and stuff? Yeah. How'd they take it? Oh, not badly, but... I guess it's like, as as announcements to your parents go, it's down the bottom of terrible things. Yeah. like but Baptist I, 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 is pretty hard. Like, Baptist is pretty hard. It's not Pentecostal or anything or Catholic, but it's still pretty intense, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was never particularly... Like, I was certainly devout myself, but I, I, I never became, like... I was never one for like rituals or like uh, uh, homophobia or anything or really no none of that just just being a Christian. I went to Bible college hmm. uh, for a year. Is Bible college a type of high school or a type of uni? Type of uni. Whoa, tertiary yeah. educated I did. apologist. Yeah, I am. I've got a certificate for in youth development. Oh, look, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's like going to the Australian Catholic University for social work. It's like you're not there about the Catholic University. Yeah, you're there oh, about the youth, helping people. The, the certificate itself, like. It do- it's meaningless. I oh, know I? nothing about youth development. I have was... a certain foreign small business and I have no money. So, yeah. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. It was just a lot of like Bible history, church history, Bible study mm-hmm. stuff. It was pretty cool though. It was cool learning about church history. So, you yeah. know all about Martin Luther and yep. 
What else can you learn about? The, the uh, other thing to adore. Council of Worms. The Council of Worms. Which well, is they got together and they were like, let's cut out all the Apocrypha. That's mm-hmm. a waste of time. Great stuff. Yeah, isn't well, it? But like, basically now, I only use it for evil, I guess. Yeah. Which is just whenever people talk about Christianity things, I just sort of like sidle in like yep. at a, a huge angle on the coffee table. Did you know that the uh, Trinity wasn't even canon until 700 AD? Yeah, why? Just what happened? Stuff like that. Oh, I don't know. Some other council. I made the date up. It's yeah. been a while. Um, but stuff like the divinity of Christ—that mm-hmm. was new. Uh, like that's the fact that he was God and God was him. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, sort of according to the early church, you know, in the you know hundred or so years after he died, there was a lot of debate. And nobody really knew what was going on. There's like basically just the fact that uh, a lot of things that people hold as core truths of Christianity mm-hmm. weren't sort of held as core truths until well after the Christianity events uh, went down. Wow. Yeah. So Jesus necessarily being God, hundreds of years later, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, all being one person, hundreds of years later. Yeah. Um, you know, all the, like, the Lord's Prayer and that sort of thing. Well, not so much the Lord's Prayer, that's Old Testament, but mm. saying it as a ritual as mm. part of Christianity. There's oh, there's all kinds of things that... So if we went back to, like... So if we went to day one... And we're hanging out like the day after Jesus yeah. either ascended into a cloud or just didn't come back out of the cave, depending on how you look at things. Mm. I'm sure there's some disagreement about that. Because what, it was only a couple of people who saw him go to the cloud and everyone else was like, really? Oh, man, this is this is <laughs> this fields that I'm rusty in, but I'm going to speak with expertise anyway. Yeah. Uh, he disappeared from the cave yeah. and was found absent by a couple of ladies mm-hmm. and then reappeared just in amongst them quite suddenly and hung oh, like, out with them. Like behind them, like, hey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like while they were having dinner, he's like, guys, Jesus is here. What's up? And they're no all way. like, whoa. They were like, oh my God. So everyone Literally. saw that. All yes. the apostles were there. Yes. And then he hung around with them for like three days or something. And then he that ascended away. Judas. Yeah. Well, he already hung himself. No, he, yeah, he killed himself like immediately. Oh, so he killed himself. And then Jesus came back and was like, yeah. hey, it was a prep. Oh, oh, man. Oh, shit. Oh, sh- oh, sorry, Judas. Yeah. yeah. And then he ascended into a cloud. Yes. And uh, and everyone saw that. Yeah, at the dinner party, I think so. They just had this one three-day-long dinner party. Way to own the party. Yeah. Well, you would have a three-day-long party if you if your best mate came so back from the dead. Literally resurrect. Yeah, yeah. So that was like that's sort of the cobbled together story over because there's four sort of differing accounts of it, and those are the gospels. Mm. And uh, Martin, wait, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Yeah, there's like different. Uh, books that were sort of authored for different audiences. Yeah. And so they sort of focus on different things and they sort of changed over time. Like apparently the ladies finding uh, the empty tomb with no Jesus in it, mm. uh, as far as sort of biblical scholars can uh, discern, that part was added by some monk copying the texts like hundreds of years later and was not part of the original text at all. No way. And there's a whole bunch of like other little like factoids like that. Cool. That are just like, that's actually not even in the Bible. Yeah. There you go. Do you ever feel like you have some really good material on this subject, but you'd have to teach people the, to, how the joke works first? A little bit. In my show last year, uh, which is called Ghosts Are Real, I mm. had uh, a little bit about like Bible stories and Christianity mm-hmm. quirks. And that usually went down pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Did you become, like, are you a clean comic now? No. Okay. No. I have too many jokes about sex and that's, I'm Fair not enough. really a joke that relies on, uh, I'm not really a joke. Yes. So I can definitely do a set without swearing. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of my jokes have fairly adult themes. And yeah. so I could do a, yeah, like a, a show of mine would easily come in. Like I, I probably would swear in an old, uh, in a, my own show. Yeah. But if I had to do a thing with no swearing, I totally could. But if they were like, mm. also it has to be like acceptable for children Mm. I could still do it, but I would have to cut out a lot of material. So if you had to do your first, if you had to do a set at the first ever international story war competition, because that'd have to be like a G-rated oh, yeah. Olympics, right? I feel like fine. story war, like that's enough material for. There, yeah, there's material there to to, to work off, but yeah. I would certainly have to write it. Yeah, my current sort of repertoire is fairly sex and drugs heavy, I suppose. Yeah, are you how's your production like? How's your prep going for this year's? MICF, MICF, MICF. I think MICF is the, the yeah. one that we use. It's going really well. Like, uh, I think I have a much easier time of it as a jokes comic mm-hmm. um, because a lot of my friends who are writing shows have, you know, tight theming that they're like working their narrative around. And I'm just like, 
yeah, I've written 50 minutes of jokes since the last festival, so yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Wow. Yeah. And uh, do you, you start with a clean slate? Do you do the Will Anderson thing where you like yes. draw a line after it? And, yeah. yeah. There's like uh, not sort of uh, intentionally, mm-hmm. but the yeah, jokes that I've done in uh, the, that I did in Ghost Surreal feel done yeah. to me now, and I want to put new material in. And I, I was fairly prolific this year, so did I you have record Ghost enough. Surreal? I did not. That's okay. Yeah, it's gone. It is. Wow, it's disappeared. We'd think of all those ghost yeah. jokes. Like I still have all the jokes written down. Like I could do it. Like you know, give me an hour to rehearse, yeah. and I could probably do the show again in a pinch. Would Not right be, now. Would you be tempted to record it? And I feel like the plan regarding recording would be do uh, my this year's show, which is called Dropping a Han Dynasty Urn. Mm-hmm. Um, do Not that handy one. nasty. Not handy nasty. Okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah, to do that one and then probably after that record a show with the best material in Han Dynasty and the best material in Ghosts and just do like sort of merge them all together, mm-hmm. get the the best 50 minutes out of those two 50 minute shows yeah. and do a third sort of chimera show mm-hmm. about that. Called Urns Are Real. Urns Are Real. Dropping a Han Dynasty Ghost. Chimera. That's not a bad angle. I just, I really like that word. It's a fantastic I'm word. Glad that I got to use it. I've got word focus on that too because I'm going to record an EP this year, and I and the the theme that ties it together is Mithridatism, which is all about poisoning yourself a little over yeah. and over and over until the point where you're now immune to all the poisons. Like in um, Princess Bride. Like in the Princess Bride. That's exactly right. I'm going to be that. Will make it so much easier for me to explain that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Anytime. But as a title, Mithridatism. Don't know, buddy. Yeah. Don't think it's going to work. Mythodatism, parentheses, like in The Princess Bride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe it should just be called... Uh, what's the name of the guy in The Princess Bride? Never Fight a Land War in Asia. That guy with no hair. Yeah. Uh, he's not the Dread Pirate Roberts. No, he's but not. But he was the one who did the Mythodatism. Oh, yeah, that's right. You could just call it Iacane. Is that what... That's Iacane powder is the most toxic substance known to man. Really? That's what he developed a resistance uh, to. I didn't know that. So people tie themselves into a theme for their comedy festival shows by having to come up with a name the year before, right? Or when they register, like nine months before. Um, no, I think most people who are doing shows have an idea of what they want to do as well as a name. Mm. Like my personal way of doing it is I just come up with a name that I think is the funniest. Yeah. And then just write jokes and hope that some of them have relevance to it. Have you come up with your Han Dynasty earned jokes yet? Um, not really. I have some ideas of what I want to talk about. I think I might just use the sort of Han Dynasty urn uh, idea as something to sort of knit the whole overarching material together. Just like come back to sort of cousins of that topic. The idea of the, the precarious, extremely valuable thing, but on a pedestal and all the action goes on around it. And you're uh, like, oh, they're going to hit it. They're going to hit it. Like the comic type thing. No, just uh, talking about the... So the, the show is... Not just named after a general idea of dropping a Han Dynasty, and it's named after a specific piece of art that a Chinese artist called Ai Weiwei, Love uh, Ai Weiwei. did, called dropping a Han Dynasty Urn. Oh, I didn't know he did a thing. Which is, nice. it's just three photos uh, mm-hmm. that you should definitely Google image because they're amazing. Yeah. Of him holding a Han Dynasty Urn, him dropping it, and it's in flight, and then it's smashing at his feet, and it's wonderful. I love, like, it's my favorite piece of art in existence. Huh. I love it, and. So, yeah, it wasn't even this year. It wasn't even me picking the funniest name. I was just like, I really, really love this piece of art. So I'm going to name my piece of art after it. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's like Radiohead calling themselves Radiohead after a Talking Head song. Yeah. So, oh, cool. Well, then you don't need to worry about recording the Chimera show. You could, If it's Ai Weiwei themed, you should just have like 10 cameras on you at all time. Did you read that article like Ai Weiwei is living in our future? Oh, no. It was really poorly written, but it was a fantastic idea and it was viral for a little while in my little social scene on, on, online about Ai Weiwei at the moment living under extreme pressure from his government and being videotaped at all times and still managing to like or still like purporting to just live his life as normally as possible even though there's like young men standing next to him when he's on the toilet and stuff yeah. he's living in the 1984-ish future that we're on our way to and so we can learn a lot from watching him now Doing his art about how we're meant to live our life in 50 years. Oh, man, that's confronting. Because you have an, you have an Android great. phone, right? I do. So, you've have you done the thing yet with the 45 seconds? Yeah, I posted that on Facebook yesterday. Oh, great. Yeah. 
It was, uh, yeah, it keeps the location every 45 seconds. So did you did you have a look? Because there was a thing with the iPhone about eight, nine months ago with the same thing where they were like, look at your location settings. It'll tell you mm. where you've been for all year. And I was like, wow, I love the idea of that data pointing thing about myself. But the first thing I did when I got my iPhone was turn off all that stuff because right, I didn't I'd want it to happen. I left mine on. So where you, did it look cool? Did you just go to America and back and stuff? Yeah, it was, it was a very nostalgic kind of trip, like looking back. Yeah. Because I yeah, had a, a breakup at the end of last year mm-hmm. and then I moved houses. We split up. And I was like, oh, how's that going to look? And I was like, just backing month by month. And there's like me, like around Brunswick, Brunswick, yeah. Brunswick. And then like, boom, Kensington, like Aww. instead of December. And I was like, oh, I used to live there. All my haunts changed. Wow. Yeah. So there's actually like emotional content in this creepy bit of yeah. surveillance. I like, like I, I posted it up on, on my Facebook just being like very like non-judgmentally, like mm-hmm. not in a... Just like the, the, the words that I use when I posted, I just put up the link. I was like, hey, guys, did you know that Android tracks your location every 45 seconds? Check it out. And then some people were like, oh, I don't think it's that bad. And I was like, I didn't say it was bad. I had sort of quite a nice experience about it. People are used to having that relationship to technology where the, you presume that everyone's upset about it. Yeah. And pissed off. And yeah, definitely. There was, I was reading a study the other day that said um, that outrage is more likely to go viral than any other emotion. Like they did hmm. like a... a study of like which tweets got retweeted and things that are like I'm angry about this uh got retweeted some something like 80% more often I just made that wow. up entirely that statistic but it was it's a an illustrative advantage use of numbers yeah. or something yeah um there's a woman named Mira Melaluka Vengapal who I'm always saying to her you've got to write your ideas in a book who does workshops at festivals and stuff about mm-hmm. among many other things about our relationship to technology and right. how to reclaim it and how to feel good about, like how to abolish that feeling of, oh, I'm pressed in by it and I hate it, mm. and and to like to feel comfortable again with your iPhone, like part of, like I went to one where they were all sitting in a circle and she's like, now if anybody feels comfortable about this, take your iPhone out of your pocket or your whatever phone, and most people did, and then she's like, now if you feel comfortable about this, could you just put it into the circle in front of you? like out in the open and maybe half the people leaned in and warily put their phones down and you immediately realize like it's this personal connection that you have to this piece of technology and then she said everybody reach to the right and touch your neighbor's phone like just rest your hand on it Uh. and a few people snatched their phones back out of the circle (laughs) and she was like see you you can't if you hate that it's like hating your foot or something even more precious to you Mm. because yeah it's right there and you have this emotional connection to it yeah i like that yeah. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a like futurist, I guess, about that kind of thing. People mm-hmm. are like, oh, you know, it's taken over our lives. Like, that's not bad, though. No. Like, writing took over our lives for a while. Yeah. And that's now, fine. Like, mm-hmm. we're in a library right now. It's lovely. There's some really interesting, like, little things that you can find on the internet, <gasps> a place of interest, yeah. as well as, I suppose, horror. horror. Um, no, there was, there was one that I was reading uh, a while ago. It was like on Letters of Note or something that was this school principal who'd written this uh like letter uh criticizing uh, pen and paper in schools uh because mm, okay. it wouldn't teach kids the chalkboard skills that they would need oh, and he's like what if you run out of pieces of paper what if your pen runs out of ink and you need to use a chalkboard you're not going to know what to do it was exactly the same argument of like what happens when your iphone runs out of batteries no you're not going to know how to write a pen and paper it was like word for word the same argument but it was against pen and paper in favor of of chalk and slate and there's even the memory angle as well like well you know chalk and slate you have to wipe off again and people's memories they're, they're going to rely on pen and paper if it's semi indelible and yeah, you're yeah. Be able to keep them and look back at them well that's messed up yeah so what's next as a futurist what oh. are people going to be writing about saying we should be sticking with typing because we shouldn't be going to oh, we shouldn't be, be going chips to in like, your brain yeah chips in your brain for sure Why'd you go to Africa? Um, I was during my YouTube days. Mm-hmm. We had a thing uh, with World Vision. We were doing like a not really a cross promotion thing. Like basically, World Vision just contacted me and a couple of other video bloggers, and we're like, "Hey, uh, we feel like you guys are pretty good storytellers, and we feel like you guys would have some pretty good stories to tell if you saw our projects." Yeah, and so we'd like to fly you over to Africa cool. and show you what we do. And then if you are moved to share those stories with other people, then great. And if not, then 
you know, you got a free holiday out of no it. No pressure? It was really, really great. There was wow. not like, hey, we'll fly you to thing and in return you advertise for us, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was straight up like, we reckon our work's going to speak for itself. Yep. And then they flew us over and did, like, we made a whole bunch of videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really cool. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe the World Vision just said, hey, do, like, do what you're going to do and we're happy for you to... Yeah, they were no really pressure. genuinely great to work with. And, like, like it was, they were absolutely confident in, I guess, their product. Uh, and yeah. with good reason, because we went over there and it was just, like, incredible. The work that they do is really, like, long-term thinking focused kind yeah. of stuff like they they have like small sort of scale things where they're like look we're building a school here mm-hmm. we're making sure these guys have clean water here but the way that they go about it is sort of informed by 40 years of doing aid work and mm-hmm. like sort of scoping out what goes wrong and what works right like all of their projects that are happening of people building schools and people like you know making clean wells and that sort of thing are staffed by people from the local community Oh, that's handy. Like, the organizational really structure cool. is not... World Vision aid workers get trained here in Australia or in America, and then they fly out and, and they build over. a school. They're, the people who work for World Vision Australia or America are doing sort of the PR stuff, the, the funding allocation, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then the actual people who, uh, like, you know, in Zambia, for example, where I was... Uh, the people who are managing those projects, are like Zambians who are in, like, the city... And then they have sort of delegates who, um, no, uh, like liaisons, who mm-hmm. liaise with the project leaders in the villages who are trained and recruited from within the village. Like, everyone's local. Like, it's a it's this global organization that does, like, projects all over the place. But mm-hmm. at every step of the way, the people who are working in a community are the people from that community. And so they don't need to do studies of, like, what do the people want? Because the people. the people that they're studying are the people who are doing the study. Oh, so, but as but at each level, they dictate the intervention. Like, they say you should be providing clean water, but do it your own way. Or you uh, it's not even that. Water. It's like, what does this community need? And, like, mm. it's it, there's some sort of, uh, you know, dictation sort of thing of, like, well, we know that this works in terms of getting people out of poverty long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the sort of the approach that they take. Uh, but, yeah, it's always done, like, very intimately with that community and from within that community. So they won't build a well... Yep. They will get the people in the community who would be building the well and they will train them how to build a well. Yeah, sweet. Buying some shovels. Yeah. And so it's it's all about uh, like empowering the community that they're working with to be the sort of tools of their own, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uplifting out of poverty rather than going in, building a school, building a well and then getting out of there and doing it for another community. Wow, cool. And so it's it's sort of a longer term. Like they work with community for 10 years at a time. Like, that's hmm. the sort of usual length of a, a stay, I think. I mean, like, you can... Yeah, that's a lot. World Vision people who are listening to this can just be like, oh, it's eight and a half, you're a bit... Oh, like, you're a, yeah. yeah. Pretend your doctor's watching House. But it was super great. It, it was all very, like, sort of responsible and really, like, big picture focused for each thing. And, yeah, there was so little to be sort of objectionable about, which is sort of always braced for when you're, like, Yeah, you go over there expecting to, like... Yeah, because yeah. there's all stuff of, like, oh, but... You know, but World Vision's a Christian organization and they're yeah. just, like, buying Bibles with all that money. And then you go over there and, like, I, I even asked them about that because uh, we went to India as well. And the the difference between the two, I was like, you know, in Zambia, the fact that they're a Christian organization actually helps them out. They don't do proselytization anywhere. Mm. What they do is they just use the fact that they're a Christian organization, organization to develop bonds with community leaders because Africa generally is fairly Christian, Zambia mm-hmm. especially. Um, they just, as a sort of Christian entity... Like, we're coming from the same place. They we're working like, for the same guy. Hey, Zambia's got, like, a big AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. and um, the part of the reason that this is happening is because the communities don't want to talk about sex or, like, safe sex practices. Yeah. But if we've got somebody in who is, like a representative of the church sort of thing, Mm. they can talk to the guy who runs the church there and be like, look, here's how you talk to your parishioners about sex education and getting them to wear condoms and that sort of thing. Rather than just being sort of anonymous white people coming in, being like, you've got to tell your people to wear condoms. And then being like, no, they do it in such a way that educates the sort of cultural leaders in that community. I mean, there's sort of a cold, like a condom cold war in Africa where the Catholic church is saying, don't wear condoms and the 
Anglican church is sending people over to do sex ed and oh man, well it's, it's specifically World Vision who's do, like they're not operating as an arm of the church; they're operating as an arm of World Vision who happens to share a religion with them. Yeah, something. okay. And so when in India, uh, the sort of the opposite was true because yeah. India in the communities they were working with, they were predominantly Muslim. Yeah. Well, in the ones that I saw, at least. Uh, we were, yeah, talking to the people who were doing the work there, and they're like, yeah, the fact that we're a Christian organization here... Works against us. Actually works against us, but they work very closely with Muslim organization, uh, mm. Muslim aid organizations yeah. as well to sort of get the same things done. Wow, cool. Yeah. It just occurred to me that you work on video games, which is something was like a dream. I've worked on cool video games. There's a game that I worked on a while ago called Fractured Soul that yeah. came out on Steam recently that we were all pretty excited about. It's a very sort of Mega Man-inspired platformer where it's cool. like a lot of running and gunning, very tight controls and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, except you're switching between two parallel dimensions at once. So you're like running at like a guy mm-hmm. and then he's like, uh, he's got a shield in front of him. So you switch to the outer universe, run around behind him, switch back and shoot him in the back. What? That no way. Of, yeah. Nightcrawler was always my favorite X-Man and that's exactly, that's basically There you like go. Nightcrawler well, you should check game. it out. It was pretty all fun. Right. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll link to that on the, the <laughs> yeah, webpage. So and many everything plugs. After I play it all afternoon, which will means that this probably won't come out in a week. It'll come out in like three months because <laughs> I'll always play Fraction Soul. Um, well, speaking of plugging stuff of yours. Yes. Fractured Soul, available on Steam. Fractured Soul, available on Steam. Story War, available on Amazon? Amazon. It is available on Amazon now. We, How um, do we get... Because I want a copy, and I went to ask you recently at a party, and oh, yeah, I got distracted. It can, you just give be... me a free, can you just give me a free copy? Yeah. Yeah, sweet. I'll give you a $20 copy. Oh, yeah. Well, is that cost price? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's nice. not cost price, but it's mate's rates price. Yeah, fair enough. It's usually 25 Okay. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon mm-hmm. nowadays. Uh, as of, like, two weeks ago, it now ships worldwide. Yep. So, hooray, you can actually buy it in Australia. We are probably going to try and put together a program to just get it posted from locally because we've got some mm-hmm. story war here as well. Yep. Um, but sort of everybody involved also has day jobs, so it's kind of slow. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you should be able to get it on Amazon if you're desperate. Some mm-hmm. board game shops just have it. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's story war. Yeah. yeah. So, Fractured Soul, story war. And because uh, we start with you being a man of many projects... Dropping a Han Dynasty Urn. Tom McLean, Dropping a Han Dynasty Urn, Melbourne Comedy Festival 2015, starting on the 25th of March, mm-hmm. I believe. It's going to be at the Swanston Hotel mm-hmm. at 7.15 in the evening. Every night for the first two weeks of the Comedy Festival, it's going to be a blast. Wow. Yeah. And if anybody turns up and says that they found out about the show, your show, Han Dynasty Urn, because of Wait Long by the River, I will buy them a copy of Story War. Oh, Wow. Because it'd just... be fun to do a giveaway, right? But yeah. I've never been able to do any giveaways from this because all I have to give away is free merch anyway. And the podcast is free. Mm. Uh, I, I'm sure, yeah. I'm certain I could do a deal. Uh, look at the podcast description for what the discount you'll get because I have to talk to my producer. Yeah, nice. But if you, if you, yeah, if you show up and say, <laughs> wait long by the river, sent me, yeah. then you definitely get cheap tickets. Oh, cool. How good yeah. would that be? All right. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming and talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. As the show. Be sure to get tickets to Tom's show, dropping a Han Dynasty urn, and look up Story Wars Kickstarter because it's awesome reading and the game is ridiculously fun. I'll see you at the Melbourne Folk Club, March 11th, or at our regular live shows, first Wednesday of every month at Sun Velvet Morning in Clifton Hill. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter and everything else if there's anything I can do for you. I don't know. Answer life questions or call you during an awkward date as an excuse to escape or whatever. I'm Tom McLean. I invented a board game that sounds awesome and then I made like $300 billion. Uh, see with a hat. It's like a demon and he's uh, rowing a, an inflatable dinghy. Yeah, nice Great. try. Um, no chance. Many ambient sounds. Ruining the podcast. Dead silence. Just you and me. <sighs> Locked in here. There was the guy, um, Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. I tell jokes, but recently I've been trying to, you know how some comedians tell stories rather than just one-liners. So far I've just been really good at making up jokes, but now I'm trying to get into that like storytelling style of comedy. Wow, yeah. Mandy Patinkin. Oh, if ends always going to be it's always gonna in be vogue in programming circles. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, I just went over a whole new section of my audience. The fetishization of the physical properties of books. Correct. That's me. You know, Fumpy or like Flomus. Oh man, so. the fumpiness is what I like about a flat white. 
Yes, yeah, so I read uh, the entire Hunger Games trilogy. Out of spite. Puss, puss, come here. Can I talk to the microphone? Hey, puss, puss, you want to talk to the microphone? What do you reckon? What does it say? <laughs> oh, puss, puss. What's wrong?